Good morning, church. I love this idea of having you uh, come up here and share with one another God's Word. It's the idea that we all have um, a call to minister to one another. We all have something to give. And I guess I've really just been struck by that this morning, even kind of what I've, what I've seen. You know, Sylvia, she didn't know this, but uh, Sylvia is the newest member of our CMT. You elected her a few months ago. But she also teaches the junior high teens on Wednesday evening uh, the Bible. And they didn't know this. They meet in classroom five at the end of the hall. But I, I was starting my workout routine, uh, which means I run for about three minutes at the beginning. That's where I start. But uh, a little cold outside. So on Wednesday, I came. I said, where's the biggest church inside I can run? Well, it's from the welcome center down to the end of class, the hallway. So I just went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for about a half hour. And they didn't know this. I'd run down the hall. I'd get about 10 feet from the door, and I'd turn around, and I did that a bunch of times. And as I approached, I would hear Sylvia teaching the Bible, and I'd hear the kids engaging with Scripture, and I'd hear the laughter, and it was a really beautiful thing. So they laugh at you. I was out there. Well, uh, so thank, thank you for doing your part, Sylvia. And, you know, just thinking, even seeing these signs up here, this is made by, by Teresa Weeb, Karina Ozerny. Teresa's got a little sign-making business, a little side business up at the farm, and she uses her gifts along with Karina to, to, to serve the church and build these for us to help us in worship. What an awesome thing. Heather McClelland on there, starting her little, uh, she's a financial coach, got a business called Debt-Free Reality, wanting to use that to help people grow financially healthy by offering that course. I, I didn't know that the Bethel plant sale was coming from a greenhouse in our own church. How cool is that? People, in, people just serving with flowers, right? I got a call from uh, Steve Clark who runs Parker Clark Accounting Services and Portage Drive in the city. He's a part of our church. He's up there, I think. Um, got a call from him. He said, yeah, Rusty, a few of our employees who also attend the church here, we're just thinking how, how we could uh, use our skill and expertise to, to serve the church. And so could we do a free tax clinic at New Life Church for people who need that? You know, maybe lower income, fixed income people and uh, people's kind of simple, some simple returns just as a way of serving with the gifts that they have. And I said, yeah, that's an awesome idea. So April 9th, they're going to be in a few rooms in our church, and you're going to have opportunity if you want to come and, uh, and be blessed by that, by that service. Uh, you're going to hear more about that in the email update. So yeah, just been really reminded this morning that we all have something to give to one another. And uh, the guy who just led us in worship, Dave, he's a worship leader by night, but he's a dentist by day. And uh, I've seen you without your masks now, and a few of you need dental work. I'm... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's time. <laughs> the dentists are going to be busy. Dentists and people that sell lipstick. Business going to go through the roof. Oh, anyway, it is good to be together, church. Just to hear all of your voices in worship, they're like, I have missed this. I mean, we've worshiped, we've been together, but it's been 104 Sundays since we have gathered in an unrestricted way, 104. I remember on Sunday one, I thought, this would probably be three weeks. I had no idea. None of us had any idea. And you know what? Pro probably thank God. Thank God that we don't know the future. Because if we knew what was all to come, we probably wouldn't be able to bear it. You know, I probably would have just resigned. If I said, two years? No. But you know, day by day, with the help of God, He gets us through. Day by day. And here we are, two years later, 
And yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, the waters aren't completely calm. We know that there's some, some waters to navigate, but we'll navigate them together. But this is the first Sunday in 104, 104 weeks where we can gather unrestricted in this way. And this is a day of celebration. This is a day of joy. Uh, and also a, a day to commit ourselves to the path forward as a church. And you know, when I was in Africa a few years ago, I discovered in Africa, they have this way of honoring God. When they thank one another, they do it like you did a few minutes ago for the worship volunteers, like this. But when they thank God, they raise their hands a bit higher. And they offered their thanks to God like this. And I think this morning as a church, we just want to offer our thanks to God and celebrate His faithfulness to us. Can I ask you to stand and uh, just maybe lift your hands a little bit higher? Why don't we just give God a round of applause as a way of thanking Him this morning? Amen. That's for you, Jesus. Some of you wishing you wore pit stick this morning, wouldn't you know? So we're continuing in our series through the Gospel of Mark, a series we've called Kingdom Come because Mark shows us in his gospel as he records for us the life and the teaching of Jesus. He shows us what the kingdom of God is, what it means that Jesus came to establish it, what it looks like for us who follow Jesus to live within his kingdom. And so as we continue in this series uh, through Mark, we encounter at this point in the gospel, in chapter 8, a really important word for the very first time in the gospel. It's the word cross. We hear the word cross for the first time. Now, as soon as you hear that word, right away, pictures come to mind, thoughts come to mind. You, you, have, you associate something meaning to that word cross, don't you? It's a very familiar word and picture for us because unlike those disciples to whom Jesus was speaking in Mark chapter 8, we know the end of the story, the end of the gospel of Mark where Jesus dies for our sins upon the cross. And so when we think of the cross, it is a symbol of our faith. It's a symbol of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we adorn it on our churches, right? We Put it front and center like we have. It's the first thing you see when you drive onto the property of New Life Church, the big cross. Many of us will wear it on our jewelry. Some of us will even put it on our, our skin by, by tattooing the cross on our skin. And many of us in our homes will have art with the cross up on the wall. And, and, and maybe it'll just be an empty cross or sometimes it might depict Jesus hanging on that cross because I don't know about you, but I've never seen a cross that had anyone else hanging on it other than Jesus. Jesus is always the one hanging on the cross. And yet, this very first reference to the word cross in the gospel of Mark is not in reference to the cross of Jesus. It's to your cross. It's to your cross and your cross. Did you know that you have a cross? This is what Jesus says in Mark 8, verse 24, which is one of the most important uh, statements of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, probably in all the Bible, and maybe like the key theme verse in the gospel of Mark. It's so important. Jesus uh, says this to his disciples, to this crowd. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up whose cross? Their cross, your cross, and follow after me. Jesus is talking about your cross. 
Now, literally in the Greek there, Jesus said, whoever would follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, they didn't put the first follow me up there because it sounds a little redundant. Maybe it doesn't sound so smooth to the ears. And so your Bible might say, whoever comes to me must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You know, whoever wants to be my disciple. But it's actually that same word. Jesus says literally, whoever would follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So it'd be like if, if, if one of my daughters comes to me, Pippa, and she says, Dad, can I come with you to the grocery store? I said, you want to come with me to the grocery store? Then get on your boots and zip your coat and come with me. You want to follow me, Jesus says? Then deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So what he's saying is, what does it look like? He's trying to define for them what does it look like to follow him? Well, those two statements in the middle define that. What does it look like to follow Jesus? To deny yourself and take up your cross. That's how it is, Jesus says, you are to follow me. What is this cross that we are called to take up? So in our time this morning, we just want to unpack that. What does it mean? That's an important statement. What does it mean to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses and follow Jesus? So what is that cross that you are called to take up? Well, I'll tell you what it isn't. It isn't the means of your salvation, the means of your redemption. It isn't your efforts to be good enough to save yourself. It is not the means of your redemption. And Jesus already alludes to this. A few verses early in verse 31, Jesus says, um, or it says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. So Jesus is talking about himself here. This is what not will happen to him, what must. Jesus uses the word must. That's an important word. He began to teach them that, that the Son of Man must suffer, that the Son of Man must be killed. Must. What does that mean, that this must happen to Jesus? Well, it means at least two things. It means that this is his mission. This is his very purpose. And you see this in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, where Jesus gives very similar teaching to uh, the disciples in that um, in the gospel there, he says in John 12, 27, he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? That is the hour of the cross? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Shall I resist the cross? Shall I resist this hour? No, this is why I came. This is my purpose for coming into the world. Is to suffer and die on that cross. That is his purpose. This must happen. And why must it happen? Because Jesus' mission is no less than to become Savior to all people. So Paul will say in Colossians chapter 1, Verses 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell upon Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his, that is through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. 
He makes peace with us through Jesus' shed blood on the cross. For once you were alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. How has God reconciled us to himself? Through the cross. And Jesus' death upon that cross as the Son of God dying for our sin. There is no other way. There is no other way for us to be reconciled to God, to be saved. Jesus said, this must happen. Jesus had to die on the cross so that we might live. And we receive that life through faith in Him. So how did Peter respond to that statement? Well, it says, he rebuked Jesus, which is never a good look. Like, let's be honest. It takes someone who's pretty brave to rebuke Jesus. Now, it doesn't give us Peter's words here, but in Matthew, Matthew expands a little bit. He said, Peter says to Jesus, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. What you just said about you suffering, dying, uh-uh. Nope, I rebuke you. Okay, Why? Why this reaction from Peter to say no? Well, it's because of who he knows Jesus to be. Because if you back up to those, to those uh, verses before, which um, Sylvia had read, Jesus asks the disciples in verse 27, who do people say that I am? And they replied, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Like, you're like one Jesus. You're like one in this long line throughout history of these men messengers that God has sent. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? And now Peter spoke up. He said, you are the Messiah. That took a little bit of faith for him to make that declaration. There's only one Messiah. Many prophets, only one Messiah. God had promised as of old to send someone into the world to liberate his people and to establish the rule of God, God's righteous rule forever. And Peter says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're not just a long line of messengers God has dispatched. You are the one who will fully and finally liberate people and rule in righteousness. And why, why did he think that? Because, I mean, it was, it was a leap of faith. Like, Jesus hadn't done those things yet. Well, it's because Peter saw the trajectory. He kind of saw where he thought this was going, right? From the beginning, Jesus calls him. The teaching is, is, is one with authority like no one else. He, he, he witnesses Jesus calming a storm. He has power over the forces of nature. He has power over disease. He has power over demonic forces. He has power even over death itself. He sees this trajectory of Jesus and he goes, I know where this is going. This is going up, 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 all the way to the top. He was certain he knew where it was going because so far Jesus had met every one of the expectations that the Messiah would meet. But now Jesus is saying something crazy, something that isn't a part of the plan. Jesus, yes, he's saying he will be the Messiah, but he will be the Messiah in the most unexpected way. He must suffer at the hands of evil people and he must 
die. Now, now that ran contrary to everything that Peter and the disciples had been conditioned to expect of the Messiah. And so, you see this like great confession of faith followed by confusion. And, and he doesn't understand. He doesn't get it. In fact, this is actually what's happening even if you go back just a few more verses right before the passage that Sylvia read, you have what is probably the most strange miracle of Jesus. And you've, if you've read the story, you've gone, did Jesus, was this the one time tri- Jesus tried to do the miracle and he didn't do a great job? Because it says this, in Mark 8, it says, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him, to heal him. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village and when he had spit on the man's eyes... And put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And the, and the man who had been blind looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. In other words, it's, it's, it's fuzzy, it's foggy, I see figures, but I can't quite make it out. They look like trees. Mm. Okay, I guess it didn't take. Let's try this again, okay? Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then... His eyes were opened, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So this is what happens right before this interaction, Jesus with Peter. And, 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 what, and what Mark is doing as he's ordering these stories is he's trying to help us understand that just like this man, his sight, he gained his sight in stages. It didn't all happen at the same time. This is what's happening with Peter, right? He sees, but he doesn't see clearly. His spiritual sight, he sees Jesus as the Messiah, but he doesn't quite get the whole plan. So there's this gradual sight that is required that Jesus, as he shares more and more with them, that God's kingdom is established by Jesus through the cross. So when they heard the word cross, like I know when you hear it, you you think of something. They did too when they heard the word cross. So when Jesus said, take up their cross, they didn't go, what is he talking about? What's a cross? They knew what a cross was because they'd be wandering down the road and they see the crosses and they, and they see criminals hanging on crosses. They knew exactly what a cross was. They knew what a cross represented. What did the cross represent to those people? You can throw up that slide there. It represented at least these four things. The cross represented opposition, right? It was a tool of the authorities of the day, right, to come against those that, they didn't like, they weren't happy with. It, was, it, was, uh, it represented opposition. It represented shame. It was a very shameful way to die, right? You didn't just die on a cross. You had to carry your cross through the streets. And what did people, they looked at you, they jeered, they sneered, they mocked, maybe they threw tomatoes, whatever they did, they cursed. You went up there, they stripped you naked, or maybe you just had your undies on. They lifted you up high for everyone to see your naked body, Like, this was an exercise in shame. It was also an exercise in suffering. There was no more, uh, no no way to die that inflicted more pain and suffering than through death on a cross. It was excruciating. And then ultimately, it involved death. Nobody actually went up on a cross and then came back and recovered. The cross meant all those things. It meant opposition. It meant shame. It meant suffering. And it meant death. And Jesus says, take that up. which I think is a way of Jesus saying two things. His way of saying, if you're going to follow me, you need to expect these things. Just as I will suffer 
and I will die. You need to expect that because of your faith in me, you will receive opposition, shame, suffering, and maybe even death. See, when he says take up your cross, he's not talking about any hardship. And I think this is important to, to note because we, we've lifted from this verse in the Bible and brought into just the vernacular today a, a saying that says, this is my cross to bear. You ever heard that? You ever said that? Well, that's just my cross to bear. And, and the person might be talking about like some kid, like, like just some really troubled kid, right, that just keeps giving them grief. That's my cross to bear. Or maybe the diagnosis of cancer or you were born with some disorder or something, that's just my cross to bear, which is a way of saying, I didn't choose it, I don't want it, but, I, but, but I, I, I'm, forced, I'm forced to have it. There's nothing I can do about it. That's normally what we say when we say, that's my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you have a choice to make each and every day. Because it, when Luke records the statement of Jesus, he adds the word Daily. Jesus says, you must deny yourselves and take up your cross daily and follow after me. Saying that this is, these things will come to you should you follow me. If you don't follow me, there will be ways in which you are not opposed, you won't experience shame, you won't suffer, and you might not die. But if you follow me, you can expect that you will have to bear a cross. And you will be tempted to take an easier path to avoid those things if you don't expect them. He says, expect these things because of your faith. And I think he also is saying, accept these things, right? Because you have a choice to make. Tomorrow, you have a choice to make. Tomorrow, will you pick up your cross? Will you be willing to follow Jesus in such a way that you will bear up uh, even under these things if and when they come to you? Accept them. Jesus is saying there's no such thing as a secret disciple. Like discipleship, following Jesus cannot be, ha- cannot be done in secret. It's not a private exercise. It cannot be that way. Which is why always, right from the very beginning, even to the present, the next step after becoming a Christian, putting your faith in Jesus Christ and repenting of your sins is what? What's the next step? Baptism, right? So I'm saying, okay, like in your heart, you, you've made this commitment. Now, now th- this is to walk with Jesus is a public thing. So baptism was the way that you testified publicly that you belong to Jesus. You were one of his, that you were giving your life to follow him. Jesus is saying here is there is no such thing as a secret disciple. You have to follow me in public. So we say we're going to have to ask ourselves, will I be faithful even in the sight of my family and friends? Should there be opposition, shame, suffering, or death? Will I be faithful in the sight of co-workers and colleagues? Even in the face of opposition, shame, suffering, and death. Will, will I be faithful at SCI in my high school? Amongst my peers, the other students, even though to be faithful might mean opposition, shame, suffering, and death. Will I follow whatever the cost? 
Jesus is saying there will be a cost. When it comes, he says, bear it. So, so Jesus is saying here to belong to God's kingdom is not just to believe the cross, but to bear the cross. Okay, did you hear me? If you hear me, nod like you heard me. Okay. To belong to God's kingdom is not just to believe the cross and have Jesus on a poster in your room, right? And to come to church and sing some songs, right? To, to belong to the kingdom is to believe the cross of Jesus and then to bear your own cross as you follow him. The cross is not just the means of our redemption. For us, it is a way of life. It is the way of living in the kingdom, Jesus says. Take up your cross. To do that, he says, you must deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself? What do you think of when you hear deny yourself? I know what I think of. I think of this joyless, austere, boring life. I think of having to like leave all the pleasures of the world and go up to some monastery in the mountains wear burlap, take a whip and every so often inflict pain on myself on my back just so that I'm not like experiencing too much joy in life and eat bread and water and that's it. And pray, pray and pray. That's maybe what I... I I hear when I think of deny yourself this joyless, boring life. <laughs> in fact, yesterday I read an article by one of the biggest British newspapers called The Guardian. So I just read this yesterday. They, the University of Essex in uh, England did a study about um, who are the most boring people. So, uh, th- so this is just a quote from the article. A new study has supposedly pinpointed the most boring people alive. Bird watchers. Sorry, Steve Clark, accountants. Where are you? Oh, there he is. Tell him he's boring, okay? Data analysts and everyone who works in insurance. (laughs) The University of Essex Research lists the most boring hobbies as number one, going to church. Boo. This is fun. This, This is why you're here. This is an exercise in joy, watching TV and animal observation. All these things were judged to be uh, worse even than stamp collecting. So, not coin collecting, which is super cool. Stamp collecting, that's for losers. Right? So, I know what it's easy to hear. Deny yourself. It's like, Commit yourself to this boring life which is just a slog. No, that's not what he's saying, okay? He's not saying deny something to yourself, whatever that thing might be. I remember when this guy, he became a Christian years ago. He was a young guy, and he just became on fire for the Lord, but he had a motorcycle, and he, I remember the day when he said, I guess, I, I guess I'll have to give up my motorcycle. I said, why? Well, he, he just thought like to follow Jesus meant just to kind of like stop having fun. No, he's not saying, Jesus saying don't deny something to yourself, although, although he may, that might be a part of it. But, but it's a layer up. It's deny self. Jesus saying you must, to follow me, you must deny self. What is self? 
Self is all self-promoting and self-protecting ambitions. It's that inclination, that impulse to promote and to protect oneself above all else. That is self. Self is the opposite of the cross. Okay? So you can throw that up there, Jasmine. This would be, uh, this might look like this. If the cross is opposition, shame, suffering, and death, well, self says no to those things. No. No. I will not take those. No, I need acceptance or approval instead of opposition. Glory or honor, recognition instead of shame. Comfort in place of suffering and safety in place of death. So Jesus says the self is that thing in you that looks at everything the cross represents and says no. It's a thing that tries to secure oneself. Self will only follow Jesus to the point where those things, acceptance and honor and glory and comfort and safety, self will only follow Jesus to the point in which one of those is threatened. In which there's a cross that has to be born and then self will stop. And we see this happening just verses later in Mark chapter 10. It, it's a story between this rich man and Jesus. And it says in Mark 10, 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Like, come on, like you're a good Jew, you know. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Then Jesus looked at him and loved him. You know, when you, when you, when you pray, like, saw something new in the text, I, I, didn't, I didn't actually see the word loved him until right now. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And what did Jesus' love for him call him to do? One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. It doesn't sound like love. <laughs> go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. What is Jesus saying? Oh, there is something so much better. Oh, there is, there is a security so much better for you, pal. Like, see, you're a rich man and you are, you know, you are trying to find your security in your possessions. But I love you. And I want to call you out of that false security to the real thing, right? Because your heart is gripped on that. And, well, I guess it doesn't go so well because this man who has self, right, security, comfort, he loves this. It says in verse 22, at this the man's face fell he went away sad because he had great wealth. So self bumped up against the cross and he could not deny self. And it's not that God calls everybody to sell everything they have, like, like we should all be homeless people. Well, then who's going to feed the homeless people? He's not saying, he's not saying to be a Christian means you, you can't have any possessions. He saw this guy's heart. He saw what self looked like in him, what this guy clung to for security, and he went after that thing to try to liberate him from that. 
so he could experience true life and true security. But the man, self, rose up in him, and he was sad, and he stopped, and he turned around, and he did not follow. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when you hear rich, we probably shouldn't think Russian oligarch. Although, like, that's another level. We should probably think us. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Man, because it is easy for them to buy into this false, this illusion of security in this, this, these things they have. I remember this story, this true story I heard of this guy. He, he, was, he presented himself in, in a church. Uh, he was a speaker, and uh, he was telling his story about years before he'd been a destitute man. He only owned $20. All he had was 20 bucks. He was in a church service, and in that point, he felt God called to him, just give your last 20 bucks to me and, and just see what I'll do. So, so he, he gave his last $20. He talked about how hard that was to put that in the plate. And, and then over the years, God had blessed him, and now he had become a millionaire. And so now he stood before this church saying, look, we got it done. Like, I was there and now I'm here. And uh, someone got up in the congregation and asked him, would you do it again right now? Would you do it a second time? And he paused and he had no answer, right? To give 20, okay. To give a million? That's what, that's what, what, isn't that what riches do? Ooh, I, I feel like I'm at a point where I could actually live this comfortable, secure life. Like that man in Luke chapter 12, right? When, when Jesus talks about this man who had a bumper crop and he built more silos to hold all of his grain and, and he would have more than enough for the rest of his life. And he said, look, look what I have. I can just eat, drink, be merry, and enjoy life. And then God came to him that night and said, you fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. That sense of security is in, in, in self is a false security. It's a feeling of security, but it, it is not real security. Jesus says, I want to give you real security. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will find it, will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I think what Jesus is saying is the most secure place to be is in the center of God's will. I think that's the point. I think it's on the screen. Maybe if there's a statement you want to take away with you, it's this. The most secure place for you to be is in the center of God's will, whatever that will is. I remember as a kid, in front of the, the sink in the kitchen where we washed dishes, was, was the saying that said that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And I saw it every few months. It was a bad son. But it always stuck with me, right? God will call you into places that seem dangerous. There will be opposition. There will be suffering. There will be shame if you follow him. There will be a cross to carry. But the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, where your life has been put in His hands, where you have denied self to promote 
and protect yourself. There's a big difference between feeling secure and being secure. And so Jesus is saying, you know what, this whole self-denial thing, it's not ultimate self-denial. It's not actually caring about your life. Jesus says, if you really cared about your life, if you truly cared about your life, put it completely in the hands of God, surrender your will just like Jesus did at the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't want the cross. He didn't want the, he didn't want to suffer, right? He said, "Lord, if there's any way, Father, to take this cup from me, please do, but if not, yet not my will be done, but your will." That's what it means to deny yourself. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And that, that is the path, Jesus says, to true security. Jim Elliott, who is a, it's, it's, I'm not a guy that remembers quotes very well, but it always stuck with me. He was a missionary called to, to Ecuador, where he served in the jungles there, an unreached people group, and he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep, that is his life and everything he has to God, to put it at God's disposal, to do whatever God wants. He is no fool to, to give what he cannot keep, keep to gain what he cannot lose. So when Jesus says, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it, but if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. What does he mean? What, is he, what does he talk about when he says you're going to save your life? Well, this is what Jesus says in John 23. He says, the... Um, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus says, I think it means two things, he says in here, to save your life. First of all, it means eternal life. It means it doesn't matter how much opposition or suffering or shame or whatever, you know, it's all going to end in death for us at one point or another, right? But he says, in Jesus, we can have the promise and the hope of eternal life. It doesn't matter what befalls us. We are completely secure in the hands of God. We have an inheritance that nothing can separate us from. If you follow me, you will save your life. So I think he means like eternal life, the life to come. But I think he also means this life. He says, your life is like a seed. And if you plant that seed, it dies. It ruptures. Right? But unless that goes into the ground of God's will, it just stays a seed, and eventually it becomes nothing. But if it goes and it dies in the soil of God's will, it, 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 it grows and it creates many seeds. And I think Jesus is saying is when you give your life to me, when you deny self and take up your cross, just see what I would do with your life. Just see how instead of building whatever earthly comfort, things that will rot and spoil and fade and rust and come to nothing, in me you can actually have a life, though it's not always easy, you can have a life of true meaning, a life where you make eternal impact, a life of purpose. That seed has to go into the ground of God's will, and when it dies there, it produces. And you will never know what it will produce until you let it die. until you plant it in the soil of God's will. The most secure place to be is in the center of God's will. Deny yourself, take up your cross. And that takes many, that takes many shapes, self-denial. 
For some, it may mean like leaving job and family as the disciples were called to do times. Like I, I remember as I was thinking about this, something I didn't appreciate at the time, like uh, a cross my wife had to bear. When 16 years ago, as a graduate living in Niverville, about an hour away from the family farm, she had never lived half, more than half an hour from her family farm, comes from the tightest knit family on the face of the earth. And then God comes to me and says, I, I, I think God is calling us to Emmanuel Baptist Church in Blind River, Ontario. How far is that? You look at the map. Ooh. How many days drive is that? Ooh. I had no idea at the time what that meant for her. Only in time would I, I understand like what God was calling her to do and how that, that was a cross to bear and she bore it. So, it, it might mean like actually leaving, you know, a comfortable job or, or leaving and moving away from family to follow the, the leading of God. I mean, for the proud, it means renouncing the desire of status and honor, right? Kind of being on the in-group in school or somewhere else. For the greedy, it means renouncing an appetite for wealth. For the complacent, it means to renounce the love of ease, God, if you're going to follow him, will call you out of your comfort zone. He's going to call you out of the boat. He's going to call you to serve in ways that, that are going to be uncomfortable, that are going to be, going to be demand time and resources. And it would be easier just to golf. I'm not saying don't golf. I'm just saying don't waste your whole life golfing. It means renouncing your love of ease to make yourself and your resources available to God and for His kingdom. The faint-hearted will have to abandon the, the craving for security. The violent will have to repudiate the desire for revenge. There are many ways that we are called to deny self. But when I say no to self, to the I who would enslave me, I say yes to God, to the one who leads me to life. So, the, so I bring this to a close here. The question for you, will you take up your cross? Are you willing to take up your cross? This isn't something you just do once. Like, oh yeah, I remember when I was in uh, Sunday school or years ago when I accepted Jesus into my heart. Like, this is an everyday thing. Are you willing today, will you be willing tomorrow to take up your cross to follow God, whatever His will will be for your life? You see, Peter he failed. Because, because it wasn't long after this, days, weeks, months. Jesus said, remember at the Last Supper, if you will deny me three times for the rooster crows, three times Peter said, I don't deny Jesus. You belong to that Jesus. You're one of them, aren't you? No, 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 not me. You know, three times he denied Jesus, and he felt like an utter failure. The Bible records how he goes into the back alley and he weeps and he says, I'm done. Like, that failure is final. And I love how Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he seeks out Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter, third time. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And what is Jesus doing? He, he's, he's, he's reinstating him. He's saying to Peter, you failed to carry your cross yesterday, but today's a new day. It doesn't matter if you failed yesterday to bear up the cross, whatever that is in your life, today's a new day. Failure isn't final. What would that look like in school? 
What would that look like with your time and your resources and in your relationships? Will you be willing to take up your cross and follow after Jesus? We have that opportunity each and every day. So maybe another way of saying that is, is there anything in your life that you need to say no to so that you can say yes to God? Like, think of that right now. Don't let, don't let that question just kind of go in one ear and out the other. I'm almost done. Is there anything in your life you need to say no to, you need to deny self in some way so that you can say yes to God? Whoever would follow me must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me, Jesus said. Let me just close with this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If Annika would have been a boy, she would have been Dietrich. And if Britta would have been a boy, she would have been Dietrich. And if Philippa would have been a boy, she would have been Dietrich. Hun, should we have one more? Should we? Um, if I had a son, and I love having three daughters, wouldn't change that for the world. But the plan was to call him Dietrich, after Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a young seminarian in, in Germany when Germany was overtaken by Hitler and the Nazis. And uh, Hitler, in trying to exert his influence over all areas of society, including the, the, the state church, the Lutheran church of which he was a part, kind of demanded loyalty, Right? demanded things that they had to do and say and not say in order to retain their place, their privilege, their income, their future, all that security. And he looked at all of that and he said, no, no. And he was driven underground and it was dangerous, a part of this little, what they called the confessing church. those that would co- wouldn't compromise, those that were willing to bear their cross no matter the opposition, the shame, the suffering, or even death, and he died at the age of 33, just a few hours before the Americans liberated his jail. One of the last acts his captors did was they ended his life at the age of 33. He bore the cross to the end. Right? And this is his quote, He wrote a little book, if you you want to read it, it's worth getting and reading, called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In it, he says this, to deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only Him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is, He leads the way. Keep close to Him. He leads the way. Keep close to Him. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. We thank You that You led the way. Lord, that way to Your own cross. That You did not choose Your will You did not choose approval or honor or comfort or safety, but you were willing to receive opposition and shame 
and suffering and death for us. So that we here today, March 20th, 2022, Stonewall, Manitoba could live. That we might have the hope of eternal life. We thank you, Jesus, that you did not shy away from that cross. And now as you call us to follow you, you say to us too that there will be a cost to following you, to wearing your name. There's no way around that. God, would you enable us as individuals, as families, as a whole church, God, would you enable us, empower us to be faithful Lord, if there's any way in which we need to deny self, in which we're trying to cling on to security to promote and and protect ourselves, Lord, if there's any way that that's getting in the way of following you, would you, Lord, just give us the ability to deny ourselves and to take up that cross and to really truly live and to really truly be secure? So God, would you just show us, each and every one of us, as we go from here, what that looks like to wake up tomorrow and to live that way? Lord, We want to follow you. May you be glorified in us. In your name we pray, amen.